Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. Okay, so today we are going to be talking about something that we talk about about once a year. And it's because everybody asks asks the question at some point in their business, which is, how do I figure out my pricing for my first few customers? The big question. And we see this a lot, right? So I see this posted in the group sometimes. I see it in other Facebook groups, or I just see people asking friends, what do you charge for your services? And so a lot of people I've noticed just like to benchmark somebody else just because it's a starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about that? Like, is that a good starting point for, for new coaches that really have no idea where to start? I think it's a dangerous starting point. Okay. Um, Why? <laughs> it's the most common thing. You know, one of the things that you'll hear, you know, even taking an intro to business class is, or a marketing class is, you know, benchmark the competition, take a look at what the competition is doing. Right. The, the I think you even... You even told us to do that in launch, but it was in context, though. There was yeah, more to a, it than that. There's a lot more that goes into it. And yes. it was not the first thing that you were supposed to do. No. It was, it <laughs> was much true. later in the process. And the, the danger of, of benchmarking against the competition or looking at what the competition is, is doing or your friends or other people in the in. FCN or other people in our, our Facebook or whatever it happens to be, is that you then have an anchor, right? There's a, so there's a psychological effect called anchoring. Ah, I just learned about this in a book study. I did <laughs> through the so, AFCPE. <laughs> what you've now done is you've created an anchor in your mind of this is what financial coaching services should cost. And everything that you're going to think about is going to be from that perspective of that anchor. And that is a very dangerous thing because it has nothing to do with your exact coaching business. It has nothing to do with serve, how long your program is, how many hours it takes you, what are the technologies that you've brought in, right? It's... All of that is not relevant when we're looking at benchmarking against the price because the price that they've set up is theoretically right for their business. (laughs) Right, theoretically, but theirs is probably theirs is probably benchmarked against other people. Yeah, (laughs) and so what we end up with is is this long line of unresearched pricing, sort of begetting itself. Yeah. Right. And then, of course, when someone says, well, I want to see what everyone else is doing. Right. If you, so if you kind of imagine someone sets a horrible price for their for their service. <laughs> what do you mean by horrible? 
horrible meaning. It's just a, it's a terrible okay. idea. It, it was a okay. terrible idea to do it. It is the absolute worst price you could think of, no matter how, whatever you define that doesn't really matter. Right. Okay. <laughs> and then five other people see that price that gets anchored in their mind. And so they price around that price. And then eight other people see that price and they anchor around that price. And then 32 other people see those prices and they anchor around that price. And the first person says, okay, you know what? I'm finally at a point where I can go back and actually set my pricing correctly. And what I want to do in order to understand that is just understand what the competition is. And they look out there and it's like, wow, I'm right of average with everyone else. This must be the right price. <laughs> okay. Right. And so you have to realize that this anchoring is a, you know, it, it, a lot of people will say, yeah, but I, I've done some research and this is what everyone's charging. That doesn't mean that everyone's charging the right price. That could just mean that everyone is basing it on the same flawed initial assumption. Right. Right. We're kind of there, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And that's I mean, that it, all all young industries go through this. Okay. The data is already special. out there. Yeah. So yeah, you can't escape it now. Well, you how can't. do you break well, how do you break the anchor? I know it's very difficult. You don't ask. You don't you don't do benchmarking. Okay. You're, <laughs> you're pricing first. What if it's already done? If it's already done, then what you're going to have to do is work really, really hard to psychologically justify to yourself why what you're doing is different. And I think one of the parts of it is just realizing that the anchor that you've created by benchmarking, by looking at what other people are doing, that is not a sophisticated, well-established marketplace price. Right. Okay. That is a, um, broadly speaking, just pulled out of yeah. the air, right? Yeah. Also realize that the people that are most likely to share their pricing are the people that are most likely not as successful. Mm. Talk about that more. So if I have dozens of and dozens of clients and I'm bringing on two or three new clients every single month, I'm less likely to be active in a Facebook group, especially for pricing like that. I'm right. also not considering myself at the beginning of my business. Right. True. And so I'm going to look at that and say, oh, well, that, these people are talking about at the beginning of their business. I'm way far into my business. So I don't want to come in and skew the information. So I'm I, I'm less likely to, to post. Someone who is at the beginning of their business, much more likely to have the time to engage and must more, yeah. much more likely to feel that their experience is relevant to the person posting the question. Makes sense. Post. Okay. And the people that have been in the business for a while and failed at it are no longer in the business. And so therefore they're not posting. So people who've had a lot of experience, but aren't successful also not posting because a lot of them by and large, because a lot of them are, have exited from the business. Christine, you say that when I was researching this topic, I found a few people that posted that are no longer in the group. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, you, you also have to realize that the, that the information that you get may not be 
truly helpful to you. And that's, I think that's the first step in breaking that anchor. If you've already done some benchmarking is to realize that you've gotten some very anecdotal evidence from a few people and those people may or may not end up being successful. Right. Right. And and oftentimes when you get feedback like that, it, it's people that you don't know anything about them. You don't know how successful they are. They don't, you don't know how long they've been in business and you don't even know what their program is like. So you don't even know what they're offering. So it's not really a true benchmark if you don't have all that background data. Exactly. Exactly. You're comparing apples to oranges. So, so not only is that not a good way of setting your price, it is, it is actively dangerous um, because it does, it changes how you view your pricing for your program in a way that is not relevant to what you're actually going to build as a coach. Right. Right. Okay. So let's break that. Say no more anchoring, no more benchmarking. How do they build their pricing from the ground up? What should they look at to decide how to price? Yeah, that's a very complex thing. I mean, pricing is in launch. Uh, it's, it has its own week that's built on yes. multiple <laughs> other weeks, right? Yes. Uh, so it's multiple hours of video in, in launch in, and on an ongoing basis, both in launch and grow, it's something that needs to be reevaluated and relooked at and adjusted, right? So this is not something that we're going to be able to give a simple answer to. Uh, right. Or to how do Maybe you- Maybe a summary? We can, we can have some starting points. <laughs> starting That's points would be great. Right, we yes. can have some starting points. And so the, the first starting point is to realize that your pricing is not and should not be based on your business. Meaning what part of the business? What do you mean? So a Honda Accord is $20,000. And a Mercedes McLaren is $400,000. The paint job on the McLaren is $20,000. Do you really think that the cost, the business cost of the paint and the painting process and the, and the labor is equivalent to the business cost of the materials and the process and the labor for building an accord? Do you honestly believe that that's the case? Right. No. So, and the McLaren, it is a more expensive car. It has better material, so on and so forth. It does not cost Mercedes. uh, What? What is that? Uh, 20 times as much? Right. (laughs) Right. 20 times as much to build the car? Right. You know, why is it? Well, there's design work that goes into it, all sorts of stuff that goes into it. But fundamentally, it's because people who are interested in driving a Honda Accord are willing to pay $27,000 for that car. Right. And people who are wanting to drive a McLaren, and it's not just because I want to drive a McLaren, right? There's a lot more psychology and a lot more branding and a lot more other things that go into it, but they are willing to pay $400,000 for the car. 
right? Right. And the value that each gets out of it is 25,000 and 400,000. Right. Another thing that was covered in that book study we did. <laughs> if you pay more, you're going to get more out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You, even if it was equal, even if they were actually equal and you just slapped a different brand name on it, you will get more out of it if you pay more for it. Yeah. So the important thing is to realize is that, yes, your business's costs, your, the time it takes you, so on and so forth. All of that is a part of your pricing. But all of that is not the basis for your pricing. All of that is we check to make sure our business can still be profitable based right. on our pricing. But right. our pricing needs to be based on consumers, on our, on our customers. What they are willing to pay mm-hmm. or want to pay. Yeah. Not necessarily willing, but it could also be this idea that they have something better, potentially, depends on the client. In the niche. Yeah. So if, if we look at, for example, if we look at a, a person who is working with people in San Francisco or New York, those clients are going to be willing and able to pay more than a person that is working with someone in Missouri, uh, Mississippi or, yeah. you know, Kentucky, right? And it has nothing to do with one group of people as X or one group of people as Y. It has everything to do with just the demographics and the average income of those cities. Right. So we want to disassociate our pricing from what our competitors are. We want to disassociate our pricing from what our business structure is. Right. We use that information to go back and evaluate the pricing that we've created. Right. To make sure you're at least making a profit. Yeah. And we look at it from a competitive structure of, okay, if our, if we've set our pricing at this and our competitors, uh, other coaches in the same marketplaces are setting their pricing at that, can we identify how we justify our pricing? So if our pricing is significantly lower can we identify why it's significantly lower? If our pricing is significantly higher, can we identify why is it significantly higher? If our pricing is about the same, can we identify that? And and what that does, what that's really about is we're comparing what we're doing to what they're doing and being able to see, can we make logical sense of, of it? But we have to start with what we're doing or all we're going to doing is copying and pasting a non-similar thing onto it. And I think this is one important thing. You wouldn't go out to the Starbucks menu and look at the Starbucks menu and its pricing in order to figure out your pricing at a sushi restaurant. Right. Right. And that's kind of what we're doing. And that's exactly when we look at other what people's. you're doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because they're both, they're both, you're getting food in both places. Right. It's food. right? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> you're drinks. getting food in both places, but they are fundamentally <laughs> different. Right. Right. Um, and you can buy coffee at a sushi restaurant. They're still fundamentally different. It doesn't, that none of that matters. Right. And your coaching right. business, you are likely to be building, should be building a fundamentally different thing than. Definitely then um, 
other random people, <laughs> right? In the coaching. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So you mentioned income a little bit, um, or cost of living income. Mm-hmm. Is that is that one factor that you I know you talked about that in another one of the the pricing episodes? Um yeah, uh, so, kind of a rough range. Yeah. So you pro- you're gonna have a difficulty uh charging a significant percentage of someone's annual income, right? Or right. monthly income. And where is and, that? What's significant? <laughs> so the, here's the problem is it's hard to define what is significant without knowing the context of the program, right? right. So if you are doing an ongoing thing, right, then what's significant is going to be a much smaller percentage than if it's a three-month program, right? Right. Especially since ongoing, you're probably spending less time every month than what that three-month program is looking like, right? Right. Kind of think of it like how uh, Microsoft has transitioned Microsoft Office from every four years, they put out a piece of software and that software is $480, right? To now you're paying a monthly subscription for it and it's $40 a month. I'm sorry, and, it, and it's $10 a month. And that just happens to add up to the $480 that you were right. paying for through the software. Yeah, right? same thing. The pricing, the, the pricing ends up being exactly the same, but it's a, it's a different model of how the software is developed. It's a different model of how the software is delivered. It's a different model of how the software is updated, right? right. And as a result, the pricing structure is fundamentally different between the two, right? $10 a month versus a one-time purchase of $480. Then four years later, a new one comes out, a one-time purchase of $480, right? And so I I think that that's a really important thing to consider because if you were to compare Microsoft software and say, well, what percentage of a person's income should that software be? Are you doing a monthly subscription thing? Or are you doing a one-time purchase every four years thing? It's the same income to the business, but that's a very different percentage of the person's $10 versus $480, even though the income is over that period of time. So I, I think a good way to think about it is to look at it from the perspective of what is the typical outcome or what is the typical person, client, going to come to me with. Okay. Now, a lot of people right now are screaming, how am I supposed to know that everyone is different? And a lot of other people are, yes. are screaming, oh, that's going to be super easy. And the difference is how the narrowly niche. defined their niche yeah. is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, if so is can... your niche more willing to or prefer to have a big up chunk payment, right? Where like I pay a bunch up front or are they the kind of people that need it spread out over time? So that's, that's the pricing structure side of it, right? right. But I'm referring to even, even the amount. more detailed, which is yeah. it, the more detailed you have your niche, the more specific you have your niche, the more that you can actually build out a net worth statement and a, and a budget of how they're spending their money before you ever meet them and mm-hmm. have it be relatively accurate. So like me, so I work with military families 
And so I could go look up the military tables and tell you who I usually work with. And I can, I can know what their income is. And that's assuming what it's only assuming in one income household, but it's a starting point for me at least. And you can identify what the average of a two income household, what the average salary is of the spouse. Yep. Right. Yep. So you, you, you I can look up that data (laughs) and you're doing not when they are entering the military, not you're you're doing it at the transition point. Right. Right. So you also know how housing costs are going to change. You also know whether or not they're going to have a mortgage or renting, right? There's, there's so many things, you know, when a client comes to you because you have such a specific niche, right? So you can build out, this is what a typical net worth statement is going to look like for uh, families. And this is what a typical um, budget is going to look like when they come to me before they've done any work with me. Right. Not that I'm going to have them build that before they come to me, but what you're saying is I can, I can take an average of what I think this person looks like because I've researched them through launch (laughs) and beyond. And so I can pull all that data together and say, this is about what the net worth would look like for my client. So now what we know is we know how much money is in assets, how much money is in debt, how much money approximately is going toward their credit card bills how much money approximately is going toward their housing, how much money are they earning approximately. And we can start to identify, okay, this is what a typical financial situation is going to look like when they come to me. And if you're saying, well, I can't do that, it's probably because you don't have a defined enough niche, right? You're you're wanting to work with everyone or your niche is defined in such a broad way right? That you can't actually build it. It's not that you're doing anything wrong from the standpoint of being able to build it. It's that it's too broad, right? Right. So now that we have that, we can then say, okay, if that's our starting point, what can we expect someone to look like realistically over the course of my program? Right. Right. How is that net worth going to change? Yeah. How is their budget going to change? How is the the amount of their budget that's going toward their debt going to change, right? Whatever your, whatever your program length is, right? right? And then project out, what is my program going to do for them 12 months later, right? So now we've got these three data points and we can say, all right, I'm going to improve their financial lives in that particular way. And I'm going to identify how much I'm going to have, how much of their money they can actually shift toward paying me. And now we can start to get a little bit better understanding of what a realistic percentage of the pricing might look like based on, on those changes, but also based on where they're starting from. It doesn't matter if you're going to save them a thousand dollars a year, if they're making negative 4,000 or a thousand dollars a month, if they're making, making negative 4,000 right now, they're going to have a hard time paying a $500 a month program fee. Yeah. You hear that a lot as a justification for, for using a coach is all, oh, you're going to save them this amount of money, but there, you got to look at the, the more details. You have to look at all the details of how much in debt they are. And yeah, are they living paycheck to paycheck and working with, I mean, you, we've talked about working with military families towards the end of their career. And you mentioned briefly the beginning of their career it's a whole different scenario for them. Yeah. My husband, when he joined, he, yeah, they don't make a lot of money 
when they first join. And it's fortunately also got a lot of expenses because the military pays for things. That's true. That's true. It's assuming they eat on base and they live on base and yeah, assuming, yes. making some assumptions and they didn't yeah. buy that really expensive stereo because I should have said, job. I should have said <laughs> they, they don't, um, they have the opportunity to not have a lot of expenses. That's yes. what I should have said. You're right. Yes. Absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. But you can see the difference there. There's, and there's a great example of, of like really understanding your niche. And like, if you, if you don't, then this is the time to figure that out. Like take some time to figure that out because it will really help you with pricing and marketing and everything, right? The program, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I so, think that if you're looking at it from the standpoint of, you know, what is my, what is the income going to look like? Um, if you are over a one to two year period, if your program is above 2% of their income, that is probably going to be, um, more difficult for people to identify as a general conceptual check mark, right? At the same time. That doesn't necessarily mean that someone isn't willing to pay 5% of their first year income, depending on the situation and all the details of what we just talked about. Right. So maybe in the beginning, they pay a higher percentage and then it either it's, it ends at a certain point or it gets lowered over time. Right. So that's kind of more of a general uh, way to look at it. So we have a question actually that came in. Um, So Debbie asks, how do you compensate for clients that live in different states who have widely varying incomes due to cost of living? So if you, so in my case, I work with military and they live all over the U.S. or the, the world, um, but I, I generally know their income. Right. Um, but what if you don't, what if they're different? What if your niche is something where their incomes are all over the place? So you've got two options there. Okay. Option number one, and, and Debbie, please, please ask a follow-up question because this is probably not going to be satisfying and you're going to call me a snarky uh, jerk Uh-oh. for this. So <laughs> please, please ask a follow-up questions, but you've got two options. Option number one is narrow your niche and start serving people in widely different situations, right? Or option number two is decide that you're going to take a vow of poverty and some clients you're going to make money on and other clients you're going to lose money on. And on average, you're just not going to get paid for the work that you do, right? Because you cannot build a business around, I'm going to serve people in New York that have six-figure incomes and they're barely making it because in New York, you need a six-figure income just to have a one-bedroom apartment. Right. Yeah. And also build around people in Kentucky that make one fifth of that. And they're barely making it because, again, cost of living adjustments, right? You either A. Is there not a C? Okay, let's hear A and B again. (laughs) You're either A going to lose a lot of money on the people in Kentucky or B not be providing the service level that you could have been providing and that your competitors who are focused only on New York can provide in New York. Now there is a C which is 
okay, well, I'm going to have two different programs. Well, there's a lot of gap between the two that I just gave you, which means you're going to have six different programs. And having six different programs is what large companies do. Coca-Cola has really narrow target markets, exceptionally narrow target markets, right? Coca-Cola has a target market of diabetic uh, people who love the taste of cherry and are insomniacs and have trouble sleeping because they have uh, sugar-free, caffeine-free cherry Coke. Right. That's how narrow okay. the yep. target markets get. Yeah, right? it is. Yep. And Coca-Cola can do that because they have, they have, they're such a large company. They can have entire teams of people that are just focused on that one t- target market and another t- entire team of people that's focused on another ridiculously small target market. Right. You can't do that. Right. So I've heard people say that they've, they've done like a sliding scale with income. Now, what's the negatives with doing that? And I think you kind of touched on it briefly, but you didn't, I would like you to go in more detail on that. Yeah. So this is a common problem. I, I work with a lot of behavioral therapists, behavioral uh, medical professionals, so psychologists, um, counselors, those type of people that have their own businesses. And this is actually a very common thing in that industry where they have a sliding scale. And what ends up happening is when you have that sliding scale, you tend to uh, start attracting and start working with more and more the people on the bottom end of that scale. And you are, and you, even when you have a sliding scale, you, that means by definition, you are going to be losing money on the lower end of that sliding scale. Or by definition, you are not providing the level of service that someone focused on the higher end of that sliding scale is going to be focused on. Now, now what if you, now I'm, I'm just challenging this because um, Go for it. I love I've seen challenge. it happen is you say, oh no, I'm going to give them the same exact service. And the person that's paying me $50 a month and this person that's paying me $400 a month, they're going to get the same level of service for me, from me. You, they will not. What do you say to that? They will not. Yeah. It is not possible. And it's not only not possible because the finances aren't there to support that same level of service. Because if you were only paying the two examples you gave was $50 a month, 400, right? If everyone that you had was paying you $400 a month, you could afford to add on a ton of additional services, assuming that you are not a greedy jerk and you're just trying to extract as much money from your clients as possible. You are going to be add on being able to add on. Right of additional technologies of other things that support the clients. Could you not just provide that for the $50 a month people as well? Absolutely. You can. And where's that money going to come from? <laughs> the $400. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and if it's coming from the $400 a month clients, right? Well, what that means is, right. You can afford half of the services right. that you would have afforded if all of your clients, well, half of the benefits for your clients that you would have afforded if all right. of your clients were $400 a month. And hence your competitors are giving them more. Mm-hmm. And that's kind right. of coming back to what you were saying. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I have, now I have different products that have different pricing. Okay. But I do not have a sliding. Actually, I do have a sliding scale. And here's my sliding scale. But it's, it's like a financial planning side of it, right? Is that what you're? Everything has, uh, everything has a sliding scale. Yeah. Okay. Here's the sliding scale. All right. 
So you can pay full price for the financial planning services or the business consulting services or the financial coaching services, whatever set of ser- services or set of services is what you need, right? You can pay full price or you can qualify for a pro bono meeting. And it's one right. meeting and we will work together and I'm not charging you anything because I am going to call it what it is. I am choosing to help people who can't afford my services. And that is what they're going to get. <laughs> right. And it's a single meeting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a single meeting. And uh, they will get my best work in that single meeting because in a single meeting, I can give them my best work. Yeah. On an ongoing basis, let's be honest. If you've got a client that is paying you $400 a month and another client that's paying you $50 a month, and both of them send an email to you in crisis. And the $50 a month email comes in three minutes before the $400 a month email. You want to say that you'll co- do it on a first come first serve basis, but you're not going right. to. Yeah. Because you want to make sure not to lose the $400 a month client. Yeah. And there's lots of reasons why we'll justify it. And right. it doesn't need justification. Right. Right. It's right. the right business more. decision. Yeah. The four hundred dollar yeah. a month client is paying you more, so they should get the better service. So it's both from a business and the client perspective, you are not going to provide them the same service. Same right. service. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, we had a very different conversation than uh the other two pricing ones that podcast that you did with Garrett. So that's good. And uh, I was a little yeah. worried it would be similar. So that was great that we had another conversation. There about is this. so much <laughs> to the, to the onion of pricing and almost anything, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I don't rewatch any of the old things. Cause I don't want to anchor my mind around a topic and then force right. myself to come back to something. Right. Yeah. Oh, see for me, I listen to it so that I can come up with questions that are different, that'll different. head you in a different direction. <laughs> Which is and good. It works. Yeah. Yep. It's a good, good team approach. Um, did Deborah ask any follow up question? In the, no, she didn't. I asked her for her niche, but maybe she can just reply. So, Debbie, if you want to reply with your niche, we can maybe help uh, help you in the get in the right direction of 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 helping to answer that question. So, if you didn't like his answer, well, I don't expect her to like my answer. It's no. not a satisfying answer, and I'm understanding of it and i do not begrudge her uh, the the fact that she it's an unsatisfying answer and i totally understand why it probably is frustrating right it's sometimes good though to hear that because at least as much as she might like she might be mad right now maybe i don't know i don't think she's mad i think she's just like i wish there was a better answer this is more work and yeah yeah, but then hopefully the reality will set in later yeah you know i really should do that and so Hopefully she'll have a better defined niche tomorrow or a week from now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think that's really the, the key thing is just defining the niche. And as you're having, if you're struggling with these things or, or you're looking at this and just, you know, the question that Debbie asked is a, the fact that that question was there is a good example of just thinking, okay, is this a scenario where if I define my niche more narrowly, Yeah. That helped to solve the question. And 
sometimes the answer is no, it doesn't help. <laughs> right. But right. If, if you look at it and say, oh yeah, I could see how that might help to do it. Then that becomes a, you know, one of the hard parts is, well, how do I define my niche more narrowly? Well, that question can help you to find one of the ways to help you define it more narrowly. Right. True. Right? So it, it's not a bad thing to ask. I think it's a great thing to ask. And, the, and it, it also can help to at least point you in a direction of an initial step for further defining the niche. Oh, wait, you know what? There's more comments in here. I'm sorry. Let's see. She works with tech analysts that are single. That okay. maybe two hundred thousand in California. Increases the the income, yeah. Right. So maybe two hundred thousand in California, but maybe sixty thousand in Missouri. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so where they live impacts their income. Yeah. Sixty k. Yeah. That seems really low for tech analysts, but. Yeah, I would maybe. assume that it would be closer. Probably not above six hundred k. It hundred uh, k in 60, Missouri, but maybe right. to do hundred k is what I would expect. I would, I would say thinking around hundred k these days. Um, yeah, to be a little yeah. bit higher. Yeah, uh, what I would say to that is maybe pull some data from pay from PayScale or from other services that provide income right. data, right, to help right. you to be able to identify uh, what that looks like. The to, to kind of verify where you are. Um, yeah. The, the other thing is, you know, 60K might be accurate for right out of college. I was just going to say, maybe right? she could narrow it based on how much experience they have um, yeah. or what level they're at. Maybe not right starting off, but maybe, I don't know, five years experience, something like that. I don't know how you'd define that, but, um, but maybe more narrow as far as how long they've been working or where they are in their life. Yeah. So that might be an impact too. Like if you have a family, then you're probably a little bit older. You're probably making a little bit more, that kind of thing. So those are just different ways. Oh, she's just using an example. Got it. Yeah. Um, So with regard to that, you know, also realize that the budget that you build out for the person making 200K in San Francisco and 100K in Missouri, that budget that's being built out is also going to have very different rent incomes in it, very different right. um, uh, expenses, right? Yeah, the cost and of living so is going to be completely yeah, different. The, the, the difference and taxes and everything else. So the difference between those two may or may not be as large as we would first think. Right, when you factor in cost of living, yeah. yeah. So again, another reason to do this exercise because it helps yep. you to see a little bit better is do I really have two different target markets here? Right. Or maybe not. Maybe not. Right. Yeah. Once you do that income cost of living, they may end up having about the same take home, really. Yeah. After after you know all or those big expenses. Yeah. Lifestyle expenses left. Yeah. 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 Um and so the, that that may help to validate whether or not you're they they are two different niches or whether or not they truly are one niche. Yeah. Okay. And she says she's not mad. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Good. (laughs) Sorry. I was, I was in like, I was in one level down with the, the, uh, the comments. So I didn't see them right away. No worries. Okay. 
Well, if anybody has any other questions, you can post them in here and we will answer after. Or the next time we do a pricing of the next time, yeah. podcast. because Or create will, a new one. Yep. We will do it again, specific. you know, maybe a year or so in the future, but it will come at some point in the future. So Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, it also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.